0: Hello, this is Katherine Cunningham. Thank you for joining us for the Natural Intelligence Worldwide podcast. In my interview with Peter Thompson, the special envoy to the UN on oceans, he begins our conversation with this sobering message from the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres We are knowingly destroying the life support systems of the planet. It's extraordinary to me that we've come so far in our biological discourse on humanity's relationship to nature to now directly state that our carbon, plastic, and waste pollution is destroying the planet and the seed of life, the ocean. Do we really understand that without a healthy ocean, we don't have a healthy planetary system to support all of life on Earth, including our own? Do we really fully realize that the agency and urgency to act is now? Do we know what to do? Well, Peter Thompson gives us a few clues, and in the end, it is clear that our success or failure of stewarding life on earth is up to you and to me. So, let's be diligent and consistent and vocal about our personal ban on single-use plastics. As with COVID-19, we're all becoming more and more conscious about what we touch. So, let's become more conscious about how much plastic we let into our homes and into our lives. Let's be diligent and consistent and vocal about our food choices and shift food fashion from top predator finfish and shellfish 24-7 out of season, as Peter suggests, to some sort of high-protein marine-rich tofu. Let's be diligent and consistent and vocal about our concern for the disappearance of the coral reef ecosystem and the decimation of marine wildlife due to illegal fishing and overconsumption. Let's let our local, regional, and national leaders know that we care about the ocean and that we want them to prioritize protecting them, too. Thank you, and let's listen to what Peter Thompson has to say on this last day of Ocean Week. I'm here with Peter Thompson, who is the special envoy on oceans for the UN. Welcome.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Yeah. Oceans matter. Every second breath, right?
1: That's right, yes. Uh, ocean is the basis of life on the planet. Everything um, depends on it. You know, without a healthy ocean, there's no healthy planetary ecosystem, and if there's no healthy planetary ecosystem, well, our days are numbered. But uh, yeah, so that's why we're working to protect the ocean's health.
0: Right. And so how are you integrating into the nature-based solutions narrative and the New Deal for Nature? Share with us what the important key messages are within that community as as this becomes a, a real theme yeah. and track for the WAF.
1: Yeah, I'm very careful not to sort of, um, number one, uh, fall in the trap of buzzwords or, you know, the flavor of the year or whatever. Um, I see a totality when it comes to nature. I see that, you know, ocean and uh, biodiversity and climate change, and it's all one thing. Uh, Everything is connected. As far as humanity is concerned, the most important thing about that connection that we need to be aware of is that it is our greenhouse gases which are the main enemy of the ocean's health. You know, if you think about the rates of oxygen in the ocean falling, the uh, acidification acidification rising, the temperatures rising, the sea levels rising, that's all directly related to our greenhouse gas emissions
0: undeniable at this point point.
1: and so when we talk about nature you know we're talking about the totality of it all and that we have a battle on our hands to uh, get those greenhouse gas emissions down
0: really so that is the main message that's decarbonize, it. decarbonize, decarbonize
1: Yeah, no, the Secretary General of the United Nations Antonio Guterres right? this was not a man standing on a soapbox in Hyde Park in London this was the Secretary General of the United Nations in Madrid said to all the world leaders we are knowingly destroying the life support systems of this planet that's just so sobering that we have got to this stage in our history. And so, uh, you know, it's obviously a call to action. What are we going to do about it?
0: Absolutely. And
1: I have sensed here in Davos this week, uh, whether it's the plastic industry or the shipping industry or whoever I've been uh, interacting with, that there is this new sense of urgency about the need for revolutionary change in our consumption and our production patterns. And I'm much more optimistic than I was at the beginning of this week, put it that way.
0: Oh, that's really good news.
1: I can see change. I mean, uh, you know, I'm talking to the similar sort of people that I was here. I've been, this is my fourth Davos. And there's been a movement from, well, we'll look at the problems. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's tough, etc. There's been a movement now to, okay, now's it's time for action and we can do it. We've talked about it enough. You know, something like greening of shipping, moving from that awful bunker fuel that powers the shipping industry of the world to you know, hydrogen, you know, with zero pollution. Uh, that's going to happen now the uh, whole plastics pollution of the ocean i do think it'll continue for a while but there's there're solutions now in the circular economy and in separating good plastic from bad plastic and that sort of thing and just looking at alternatives of not using plastic at all
0: right or durable plastic and so that you've got a container that then you reuse and exactly.
1: refill. Exactly. But I was at a plastic meeting this morning, and uh, I was really inspired by the way that, you know, I won't mention the companies involved, but, you know, leading plastic companies and users from around the world uh, were there, uh, you know, obviously grasped with the fact that they uh, need to change and that they are changing. And as I said to them, you know... <laughs> I'm old enough that I remember World Without Plastic. I can also remember, because when I started out in government in the early 70s in my country of Fiji, I was involved, you know, probably my main work was in getting uh, pit latrines into villages and most importantly, getting clean water supplies with a village standpipe. And you know, a standpipe is, is all you need when it comes to water. You know, a clean source and a standpipe. And, you know, I have drunk from the, the tap. And it wasn't until I was, I don't know, 40 years old maybe that I drank my first bottle of plastic-held water. Like everybody else, you know, I went through that cycle of drinking water out of plastic bottles and it probably lasted about two decades. What am I doing now? I'm drinking water out of the tap again. Uh, (laughs) And and I'm really glad that I'm out of that whole silly thing of drinking water from plastic bottles. And uh, I'm glad that people like the mayor of London agree with me, you know, he's putting back in the (laughs) standpipes so that we can just drink from the tap the way we always used to.
0: Wonderful. Well, I mean, how many people in the world do have access to clean
1: water? That's the challenge. That's the challenge. And uh, believe me, uh, if you know I'm passionate about SDG 14, the, the ocean's goal of conserving and sustainably using the ocean's resources. But I'm also very passionate about that SDG 6, uh, because as I mentioned, I started out in sanitation, really getting the village sanitation sorted with fresh water and good toilets and things. And I think that's absolutely critical. The sanitation side, I mean, it relates so strongly to our ocean work. Because, you know, if you think of sewage and the fact that raw sewage is you know, still for billions of people uh, the way of life.
0: Well, being pumped into the oceans and along yeah. with now plastics, From, right? from
1: uh, you know, quite well-developed cities still pumping raw sewage into our coastal ecosystems. And that's all wrong, you know, because it's, it's, uh, we depend on the, those healthy coastal ecosystems in the end for our actual survival. Uh, we go back to uh, what, you, what you said earlier, that every second breath comes from the ocean. We've got to keep the ocean healthy. We can't do that if we fill it up with all our pollution.
0: Right. Well, speaking of health, um, I know one of the issues that concerns our audience and certainly concerns me are these microplastics. I had a wonderful conversation with Bill McDonough about uh, the textile industry and how microfibers and uh, essentially every wash you know, eventually finds its way to the ocean outlet, and these microplastics are ubiquitous and somehow affecting the, the nurseries of, of fish. So if the first, you know, let's say, water consumption of a, a fish fry is with plastic, then that fish yes. doesn't make it. And yes. so we're really, as you were saying, we're looking at the yeah. decimation of these ecosystems. No, you're
1: absolutely right. The plastic nanoparticles, nanofibers, have of uh, permeated the fundament of the ocean from the Arctic to the Antarctic and um, what do we do we well I think one of the things is that uh, we need a bit more science on this I met with the director general of WHO just in passing this week and we've agreed to meet again soon on just the question of WHO and the medical world giving us a clear picture on what it means that we are now consuming nanoparticles of plastic in our fish, in our shellfish, but in the air we're breathing as well. What does it actually mean? Because it has been shown that these nanoparticles of plastic can go through the blood-brain barrier, can go through the placenta barrier, and so on. You know, maybe it's not a bad thing. Uh, You know, I can't imagine that that is so, but we need the medical proof on this. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, there's not enough work being done on the medical side about the effect of plastic on the human body.
0: And when we know that, it may be in parallel also the effect of these microplastics on these fish, our marine wildlife populations. Quite,
1: on all of us. I mean, I see myself and the work I do as a defender of life rather than a defender of human people. Now I know I'm a little bit out of step with the majority of human opinion and but, the United Nations, but I think life is the important thing on this planet.
0: But aren't we part of life? I think that this is really where the conservation community, you know, the, sort of the, the next chapter is to really integrate us as humans, smart humans, homo sapiens, into this narrative about the natural world that we live because we're part of, not yep. just the life cycle, but the no, phylogeny of life, and you're looking for something you want well, to share. Well, no, note. I just
1: wanted to give you the theme of, because it's uh, relevant to what you just said there, I want I, to give you the theme of what the Biodiversity Cop is going to be in um, about October, I'll okay. out for you. No, I do want you to be aware of this because this is the Biodiversity COP, where we'll be looking at the post-2020 framework. As you know, there's been all these targets, such as uh, the 10% by, uh, Yeah. Well, so not, that. Well,
0: well, no, let's share with our audience. Let's involve them in this narrative. So what is it we need to protect and preserve natural landscapes? What, 30% more, and then another well, 30 or yeah, 25 the, in order the, to carbon offset? There te- were
1: what we called <clears throat> the Aichi targets, because that's where the, the COP that set them was. But uh, there will be new targets set at this COP in Kunming. So I'm just looking here for the theme because it's really relevant
0: to Well, uh, you have a lot of events on your calendar uh, here. You're a busy person as an ambassador of the ocean. This is a global Look, <laughs> this is a global initiative.
1: Here we go. The theme of the UN Biodiversity Conference mm. which is as I said going to be held in uh, Kunming, China this year. So here's the theme, and it's the, the, the president of the conference, which in this case is China, gets to choose the theme. And the theme which they chose was ecological civilization. Nice. Building a shared future for all life on Earth. And I was really happy when I saw that because, you know, usually it would be Building a shared future for all people on Earth, right? Right. But I think they've got a riot by saying uh, for all life on Earth, because of the biodiversity thing is just such a key part of this whole drive that we've now got going to try and uh, protect nature on the planet uh, and protect ourselves as a result.
0: Do we feel that we're living, I call it, in a naturally intelligent way? Do we feel, do you feel like more and more people are awakening to the fact that we are? you know, sort of not the only species that exists and that all of nature exists, you know, in order to support our species. I know this is a narrative coming from the the book by the Prince of Wales who spoke earlier this week on harmony yeah. that we have had over this industrial age, this conception of nature as being... Yeah. Um, you know, a a utility, a resource. Um, We haven't thought of it as a finite resource, but we haven't had this sense that we are actually part of this, this natural world and dependent, codependent, you know, on these other species in order for us to, sure. you know, survive and thrive. Do we feel like we're really, do you feel like people are really awakening to this fact that we are part I, of nature? Look,
1: I hope so. There's, there's obviously a growing awareness around the world because of climate change. You know, look at the bushfires in Australia or uh, look at the, um, you know, plastic pollution in the ocean, that sort of thing. There's, So there's that kind of awareness that people realize that uh, we are in trouble and we've got to fix it. Uh, So, with that comes this awareness of connectivity, and, you know, it's as old as the first human philosophers looking at the stars, but, you know, look at the wisdom of uh, Hindu religion or, you know, Buddhism or the rest uh, uh, of the religions about uh, the connectivity of everything. Uh, So, uh, we only have to look to the old philosophers, and it's been there forever. um, So, um, you know, it's coming home to us now, and... You will never hear me say the words, our ocean, right? Except
0: now. <laughs> <laughs> I just did. You just did. Oh, Tri- a <laughs> I didn't okay. say it. This was your idea. I know, I our know. oceans.
1: But, you know, we can but, think but, inclusively but you know, our You know why I'm ocean. saying that? It's because First of all, I have this big battle of, of you know, people talk about the oceans, and uh, it's not plural, right? It's one ocean. So it, I talk about the ocean. And I think this sounds like silly semantics, but the reason that's important to me is that people have to understand there's basically one bathtub that's filling up, right? And uh, if you talk about the oceans, you think, oh, this one's bad, but this one's good and all that. It's not. It's one ocean. So it's Mm -hmm. the ocean. And I don't ever... Look, I'm too humble a man to say our ocean, right? The idea that the ocean which created us you know, it belongs to us. No, it's the other way around. You know, we, all life, belongs to the ocean. And we need to get that into our, in our heads, I think, because there's kind of arrogance about the human species, which has got us into a lot of the trouble that we're in now.
0: Well, no doubt we're having a planetary effect on the ocean and on, let's say, land-based ecosystems. And there was another organism at the very beginning of life that gave... To us, life—the cyanobacteria—who actually mm. produced oxygen mm. and photosynthesized mm-hmm. first from the oceans, yeah. which actually produced life in a sense, or allowed life to thrive and yeah. diversify. And so, now as we look at our actions and how we're, you know, creating carbon pollution in a sense that's yeah. breaking down the system and unraveling yeah. um, these uh, these ecological communities. Um, how can we learn from life how to support life? Yeah. I mean, uh, what you're saying... uh,
1: One of the interesting things is that each one of us, each individual one of us is, is supporting life. You know, we are a, a host of bacteria. Uh, you know, I the, love know, uh, All you need to do is look under a microscope as to what the, all the creatures living in our eyebrows. <laughs> and you'll see that, you know, each one of us is first of all unique, obviously, but uh, it's also a host to a whole bunch of Think of all the bacteria in our gut. And my friend Eric Sala was telling us last night that, in fact, each one of us has a totally unique uh, bunch of bacteria Bio. in our guts uh, yeah. that, that uh, make us you know, who we are.
0: That's <laughs> true. Well, actually, I, I, I say this, uh, I've said this on a few other, other interviews, but I, I think it's just really compelling that we are... You know, as an ecosystem, we are 10,000 trillion human cells, so yeah. native to our body, yeah. but we are 100 trillion bacterial cells. Yes. And that's not even the fungi and other yeah, yeah. microorganisms yeah. that's racing around in our body, but on our skin and, like you said, yeah. within our digestive tract Isn't and won- system. I
1: think that's wonderful. <laughs> Isn't that <laughs> It that makes amazing? you really connected again with nature.
0: It does. Yeah. And the interesting thing is, too, connectivity. So I... I wonder, as you were saying, we're so connected, and we need to realize our connectivity. The first thing that comes to my mind is my smartphone, and you know, our connection to other people through these artificial devices. And I'm just wondering, are, are we learning also how to become connected more to one another? We're becoming more and more isolated, more and more, you know, living in an artificial environment. So we. Lose this sort of grounding toward the oceans and the ocean, that's good. You're correcting me, or to the the places where we we live, work, and play.
1: It's a, I think, a central question to what it means to be a human being now and into the future. I've just spent uh, Christmas holidays with my grandchildren, and uh, the thing that amazes me is, you know, the screens. You know, and I look at them and say, well. Why you know they I wouldn't say they're addicted to screens because their parents are very strict about how much time they're allowed on them. But they just rush to them. Why? Because the the whole world's information is available to these little kids, you know, Too on much. those screens. And but they're just so much smarter than we were when we were kids. You know, we were kind of chasing crabs around on beaches and you know, but <laughs> things were like that. That
0: this is a very interesting point. And Yuval Harari is also here at Davos. Um, you know, in his book, the 21st century, and I think maybe even in sapiens, he suggests that, you know, in indigenous wisdom, people who were our you know our ancestors ten thousand years ago or so, we may look at them as being very simple, but their senses were so awake they, you know, had um, you know, thousands of different words for the different soils and, and the, the the wind that comes by. And actually, um, one of our guests tomorrow, Hindu Abram, will speak oh, also on this. A because good friend of mine. Oh, she's lovely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've had I've had a, no, no, an opportunity I'm, I'm, to speak I'm, with I'm her as well. And so, well, I'm the interesting you. thing is, what is what is intelligence? And yeah. I I believe that you know we are these sentient beings that are socially yeah. connected to one yeah. another. And yet... Um, but the reason I said you know, it's kind of
1: central to humanity at the moment, and I'm Knowledge. certainly no expert on this subject, but you know, look at me grasping my iPhone, to, and uh, I live off the thing. You
0: know? Well, you're not alone. But let's plug it in, because it needs to be yeah, plugged in.
1: It does need to be charged. Right? Or <laughs> else it's uh, not my brain charged. Flat. Then, not
0: <laughs> <laughs> then we have no mind left. I guess we'll have to use our heart in that sense. <laughs> Navigate ourselves yeah, no, in the Look, uh,
1: you just need to look around any city in the world, anywhere you go, just... If Everybody's on these phones. I was walking with my I wife know, through Hyde Park the other day,
0: the through this Hyde beautiful Park. Hyde oh Park, my gosh. and everybody's
1: on their, their phones. blinking I screens. Know.
0: I know, and
1: that is what we have become. And it makes it it believable that in, in not too far in the future that we are just going to implant these things into our bodies sometime.
0: Well, so. this is what you've was talking about earlier today, which is a very scary sen- concept. Yeah, you know, I these biosensors bio that actually, are, yes, they're coming inside. And what I'm wondering is, you know, for all the benefits of AI and yeah. machine learning. Um, to help us make good quality decisions and to advance our society, fantastic. But you know, there I feel there needs to be this parallel narrative. I call it natural intelligence, so to artificial yeah. intelligence, natural intelligence, where we do reclaim our connectivity to the to the world. Yeah. That we do create a, a sense of just even just time. Just to sit in nature. There's a, another person who here was part of the One Trillion Trees Initiative. The world sort of signs up to now planting one yeah. trillion trees and not just planting them but hopefully managing them over seven generations. This was mm-hmm. Hindu's challenge to mm-hmm. the panel and there was someone on the panel, I think he's a guru Satur Sadhu Guru from India who said he just actually works with people to recover their sense of self, they're not yeah. Turovera, by sitting them underneath the tree and just allowing them to breathe in and out and just to feel, yeah. Yeah. you mm-hmm. know, this sense and to visualize and I can, it's the same thing with the ocean. I think if we if we don't have a connection to the ocean then how can we feel empathy or compassion or a sense of stewardship responsibility to protect it
1: exactly look i um (laughs) i uh as you know come from fiji and uh, when i was president of the u.n general assembly i I went on a um, trip to silicon valley and uh, I had dinner one night with all these guys who have invented all this incredible stuff, you know. That we got on the table here in front of us, and, uh, you know, the gaming industry, which I understand is bigger than the television industry in America now, all the inventors of all these games. We had a great dinner party. It was just like, I was looking at the future, but uh, there, there was two things I remember from that dinner in particular. One was that none of them let their kids anywhere near screens...
0: Oh, interesting. <laughs>
1: and secondly, that they and their kids used to go, had all, everybody around that table had been to Fiji for holidays and just hanging out on beaches like we used to when we were kids, chasing crabs and swimming and, and having a look at uh, coral before it's all gone.
0: So balanced lifestyles. Yeah. Yeah. Can
1: I just say on the ocean, you know, thanks for inviting me in uh, because uh, we uh, you know, must get that voice out there for the ocean, uh, which is our conservation and uh, sustainable use you know we know the ocean has to um, do <laughs> we have to sustainably use you know with billions of people that we've got. I do believe that the ocean can be sustainably used for our medicine. you know you think of the fact that there's more life in the deep sea than anywhere else on the planet and that we're discovering new life forms every time we put a bucket down there. And it's Maybe. existing without light, and it's existing in extreme pressure and extreme cold and everything. That, I'm sure, will be a very important part of our future in the post-antibiotic age and
0: so on. It's so it, sad. We've lived in this beautiful Holocene where you know, we had ideal climate and yeah. temperatures, and now we've got to yeah. think about extremes we, we and do. learning from extreme do. organisms yeah. how to adapt. But I
1: think it can also provide us with all our energy. You know? Offshore wind, as somebody calculated the other mm-hmm. day, that ten times the human demand for energy can be provided by offshore wind, you know, um, windmills. Right. Um, and, of course, food, you know. And But, you know, it's not fin fish. It's not eating top predators and things like that. It's, It's got to be a food of the future, some sort of marine tofu that we uh, develop. Uh, and food is fashion and food uh, styles change and uh, necessity will uh, lead us to do that. But look after the ocean's health and it will look after us. That's my point.
0: Beautiful. And there's a lot of wisdom we can learn from indigenous cultures. I know I did a beautiful film on um, expanding the marine protected areas in Kauai and we worked with a number of indigenous people Mm. there who really taught us you know that actually to go into the ocean and to fish was really something that people did when they were on an expedition when they were traveling but they actually have these fish holes so they farmed fish, you know, close by and had a very active aquaculture culture because they knew that, you know, they could supply and sustain their food needs with this sustainable resource because they were controlling it. And I thought, that's really interesting. I didn't realize that you know this culture would 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 think that way yeah. very brilliant and then the other interesting thing is you know on the native narratives and sort of the myths and legends that you know propagate through the generations I was really interested to to learn that um, coming into just back to the plastics narrative coming into some of the mythology around you know the the ancestors and I'm still speaking in in the Polynesian culture the ancestors being sort of the, the lava rocks and that are you know, our generations are part of the living earth, and we're part of that. You yes. know, that intergeneration. Looking now at the beaches overrun by plastics, that story's changing. Which is yeah, but I do well, think that the, I
1: do think that the majority of indigenous communities uh, where their culture is, you know, still flourishing.
0: Well, they have a lot of lessons to teach us. What I'm saying.
1: Absolutely, but you know, the, what the main. The, thing that they have which I think is inspiring is the, the concept of stewardship yes you know, not, that, this is not stuff that we own you know the word our uh, again I, I really don't like using it That's it's great. stewardship and the fact that you know we are living in harmony with nature you find that in indigenous thought all through the world
0: beautiful well if you could give us three tasks give our audience three tasks what can we do tomorrow well look today Every
1: individual uh, is unique. Every individual has a a role to play if they choose to be a positive force on uh, safeguarding nature, protecting the planet. They can. It's amazing how many ministers I meet when I try and advocate for the ocean who say, oh, but our constituents aren't that interested. I can only act on what our constituents ask me to do. Well, there's a challenge. Talk to your MP Talk to your minister, send him an email, whatever, say that that you regard the ocean as very high priority and you expect uh, him and his government to deliver on protecting the oceans. And that's one thing you can do.
0: And get your cohort or your influencing audience your to family, do the same. Your family,
1: your community, your schools, everything. Motivate them. The second thing that you could do is change uh, your habits. You know, it was my daughter back in the, I don't know, when was it? The 90s, I guess, when she was doing her first degree uh, at university, who came back and basically said, OK, we've all got to start recycling our rubbish now. You know, separate everything <laughs> out. It was our daughter who came back and did that, right? And uh, before that, we hadn't even thought about it.
0: Com- because our city
1: council, where we were living there, didn't demand it. So, yeah, as an individual within your family, you can start changing the attitudes, and then that changes to your wider family, to your village, to your community, to your town. So, you know, don't be shy about uh, pushing the, the, the right ideas, even if you're up against opposition. So, all of that, you know relates to things like diet of course and your consumer choices when you go down the shops and uh, you know, for anybody who's still using single use plastic you know you don't need a government to ban single use plastic right. just don't let it anywhere near you because it's, uh, it's not necessary so um, the sort of things that individuals can do yeah.
0: beautiful well, I live in this wonderful fishing village, rural community in Northern California, and I'm very proud to say that it's become a marine sanctuary. Oh, fantastic. And what's interesting is that the local fishers, they have changed the seasons in which they fish for crab, which is a traditional sort of, you know, Christmas dish. Past Christmas, because the consumption was so high that it was decimating the crab population, but the community took action and decided that we were going to shift this this window of time to protect the the nursery the, okay, of the yeah. crab. And the interesting thing is then what happened was the the crab population started to really flourish and the crab the health of the crabs and the size of the crabs was much larger so you get a Maybe not as many crabs, but and that maybe not at Christmas, but you get you know yeah. a really high quality yeah. Yeah. then resource, and you feel good because you're also supporting the local fisher sure. community. I think
1: two things thing. that I draw from that. One is that partnerships are the only way forward. And right. When I say partnerships, I mean you know science, communities, governments. Um, you know, businesses. Uh, we're all in this together. So that was a nice little example you gave from your town. Yeah. But the other thing I would draw from that is that you know the ocean is changing and uh, yeah. species are changing. Species are moving. So you know the stuff that we were used to in the past is not the future, unfortunately. And that. Is change that's underway. Even if we do everything right tomorrow, that change is still going to happen for the next two or three hundred years. You know, things like ocean warming and acidification and deoxygenation. So Those right. trends are accelerating. People need to be aware that it's not a good picture at the moment. So that's why we've all got to get involved and uh, go out there and do our best to uh, protect the ocean's health because our health depends on it.
0: Right, and adaptation is part of the story. Of building resilience. I'm going to have to invite Mary Robinson to join us on this nice little podcast. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, Thank you. And for your passion for the oceans. Thank you. Obvious. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our Natural Intelligence Worldwide podcast. You can find us at naturalintelligence.com forward slash worldwide. Have a beautiful day.